Hello, friends, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and today it's my delight to be continuing this series as a spotlight on the D School, the humans of the D School. And today we have a wonderful human joining us, Scott Witoff. He works as an educator, designer, and author. Uh, he's also a professor, and he draws on his past practice of forensic structural engineering, incorporating that expertise with many different pursuits in space, furniture, product design, teaching, and of course, speaking widely. He's the co-author of Make Space, a tool for creating collaborative environments, and his work has been featured in the Design Museum and publications such as Fast Company, Architecture and Urbanism, and Metropolis. This is a prototype, the curious craft of exploring new ideas, is his new book, part of the Stanford D School Guide series. And it's something that we're going to explore, you know, this, this collection on creativity and design. You know, what is it about a design process? How do we think as designers? Uh, it's, it's a great question for all of our work, be it in education and in industry or anywhere else. Scott, thank you for joining us. Sure thing. Thanks so much for inviting me here and giving me the opportunity to spend some time with you. Oh, mate, it's a mutual, it's a, it's a mutual excitement, I would say, around <laughs> possibility uh, and learning. And that really is what a lot of our conversations are about, you know, the learning future, what's emerging, what's interesting. And so my question to you to kick us off is, what is something that you have been learning recently that's been coming into your awareness and your consciousness? Hmm. I've noticed something recently during an experience. So maybe I can share that we could try to pick out some learnings sort of real time. I don't love know. To love <laughs> Let's see how Go this goes. It. Yeah, excellent. I was, um, I live in Austin, Texas, uh, in the United States. And there are, uh, it's a pretty extensive uh, bike path, bike trail network sort of around town. There's one in particular that sort of runs north, uh, or, yeah, north, south uh, on the east side of town. And I ride that pretty regularly. Mm. Um, and I, I noticed like, as I'm riding it, I mean, dozens, a hundred or more times, just dozens, dozens of times, but there's a, there's a, like a, like a mental clicker <laughs> that I have going where I'm like, oh, I wonder what goes down that path or, oh, if I turn left right here, where would that sort of like dry river, you know, bed go off to, or, or I can hear things happening sort of beyond some trees and like, oh, mm. what, you know, what's over there. And just this constant going of like, oh, I'm going to check that out. I'm going to check that out sometime. Okay. You know, so I just got it going. Uh, and the other day I was, um, I was riding the path with two friends who had not um, ridden that path before. And we're going along, we're going along. And there was, there was just something about, um, I don't know, the moment or whatever it was, but it just it, like, you know, I pointed something out and they're like, oh, let's go. And, and so we just sort of went and, and like huh. took these, these diversions, uh, sometimes you had to dump the bikes cause you couldn't get them back in there. But, uh, so we went down and did, you know, did some exploring or whatever, came back to the path and, and went along and I was, I was thinking, I don't know, something stood out to, about that to me about, um, I don't know, just exploring, I don't know, new discoveries or, yeah. or whatever with collaborators or conspirators, I guess, <laughs> depending. Or, uh, <laughs> there, was, there was something about that, that that stood out to me like, oh, why did I do it today versus I, literally any other day was one thing. And then the other was like, um, there was this sort of wisp that I was like leading it, leading this ride mm. uh, or introducing, maybe it's a better way to put it, introducing this to them. And 
uh, there was just something about that as I don't know, felt conscientious uh, about that. And then like, as a traveler, I'm, I'm also conscientious about, you know, like when you introduce someone to a new place or, or even someone's visiting where you live and, and all of a sudden you're sort of the filter uh, or the conduit for, for them uh, experiencing where you are. There was something about that on that day that felt uh, not great to me in that role. And so there was something about, um, I don't know, it goes back to that getting off the path and trying new things, but mm-hmm. there was, I, 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 I felt like there was a, like this drive to be like a, a live learner with them. So mm-hmm. in the same way that they were maybe discovering something anew, I, I didn't want to be like just watching them. Yes. In a, oh, Hey, isn't that great? Look, you, you've learned something new kind of in a really <laughs> kind of gross way. But it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm having a new experience too, even though this is totally, or aspects of it, I should say, are totally familiar to me. So I don't know, there was something, I noticed that. And I don't, I don't quite know what the, the salient learnings are, but uh, there's something about that experience I'm still sort of chewing on because I think there's something there. Oh, that's, look, that's a really fascinating starting point, Scott. I think two things that come up for me, which, may, which maybe we can speak to a bit further. Um, the first is how rarely we leave the trail (laughs) in our lives, you know? And so this idea that (laughs) what we do is we kind of have, we remember who we are in the, in the yesterday from yesterday in the morning and all of our patterns and our habits, you know, the helpful ones and the unhelpful ones perhaps. And so then we, if we're not careful, we can just become somewhat patterned and unconscious and just flow through Mm. life, particularly when that's reinforced by the efficiency paradigm right? Which is very much kind of the way that the world works, which is be more efficient. Are you, Scott, why would you leave, why would you leave the trail? You know, <laughs> clearly it's the fastest way from A to B. It's like, yeah, but it's the journey. That's the interesting bit, isn't it? Like, particularly when you think about creativity and divergence. Uh, so that's the first thing that comes up for me. And the second piece, I wonder, Scott, you know, particularly as educators and designers, you know, when we think about designing for and designing with, Mm. And, and I just, I think I'm applied linguist, part of, part of the identity markers I hold, you know, so prepositions really matter because they determine the relationship between ideas. And so, you know, are we designing, am I designing for others? So they have an experiment. Am I hosting them on this little foray into, you know, Austin's undergrowth or whatever, or are we exploring this together? And so, I mean, that's so interesting where we position ourselves because I mean, I, as a Greek Welsh Australian, I have lots of kind of hosting. I love to host people. And then mm-hmm. so often I realize, actually, I'm doing this for them. And so how do I dissolve that and kind of experience it with them? It's such a more powerful way of thinking about any experience, including learning experiences in classrooms, you know, including how do you create cultures in organizations? I don't know. What, how do you feel about any of those reflections? Oh, it resonates just very strongly, the, uh, <laughs> you know, with regard to this, latest content even that I put together, although as you pointed out, it was a little while ago, there's this, there's, it's, um, prepositions are quite profound mm. and they carry a lot of power with them and, and among them and <laughs> behind them and in front of them. Uh, but there, there was a specific, a specific, um, uh, I don't know, context or, or, or moment that showed up, uh, with regard to how to, uh, evaluate, prototypes or how to explore new ideas. Mm. And very often 
in the context of product design, yeah. you're often saying, well, I tested this on a user uh, or uh, I used this on them and here's what I learned. Even though that might be in service of, I don't know, exploring or identifying early failures or, or mm -hmm. avoiding catastrophes, there's still this on that, that mm -hmm. someone is um, um, like the recipient of your action yeah, only. But, mm. And that you're acting in this in this kind of extractive way uh, versus saying, I invited someone to join with my work or uh, I was excited to learn from them. Um, there's something about the, the not something, there's specifically a, some subtle semantic changes can signal, well, there's an alliteration, can signal significant uh, just philosophical changes and saying, oh, I'm, I'm inviting people into my world uh. as opposed to me imposing my world on and worldview, I guess, on on someone else. So yeah, I think you're uh, the the nuances that you that you just surfaced there really resonate strongly with those. Well, I'd I'd love uh, this this I think there's a mega trend here, right? You know, moving from extraction mm. towards sustainability, towards regeneration, and I think that applies across multiple kind of verticals in society. And so the kind of extractive world, I think, has doesn't no longer serves the world right? mm. <laughs> you know e ecologically even but even in societal terms this idea that you know and i think we're seeing changes from web 2 becoming web 3 as well a really shift in ownership and governance and some of the you know really exciting possibilities around well actually this can be, you can spin up a community in which you are deeply invested and a co-owner and a co-designer of and so i think this idea i'm going to design for or i'm going to design at you i'm going to i'm going to speak to you i'm going to speak yeah. at you scott I'm going to speak with you. Are we going to listen deeply so there's generative space held so that truly new emergence and new ideas can, can come out? And so, yeah, I know that's kind of some of, obviously some of my musings, but I would love also for you to, because you've spent, you know, you have put together this beautiful book. This is a prototype, The Curious Craft of Exploring New Ideas. And so I'd love you to take us on a bit of a journey into that world also, because there's something very powerful about design processes. And for some people listening, they'd be very familiar with these. And for others, it would be brand new. So take us on a bit of a journey. Because there's, there's lots in that prototype, curiosity, craft, <laughs> exploration, new ideas. Even the title, I'm like, oh, wow, there's, there's a lot of really rich, rich concepts in here. There's a, I think, leading the journey or something that was most, um, hmm, seemed like the most uh, pressing opportunity, I think, to... Uh, explore or just surface with with prototypes or or in investigating new ideas was this such a, a strange it seems strange to say it because it is still so obvious in some ways it's really intuitive uh but that curiosity is driving um the work or or it is leading you and uh acknowledging that or just calling that out is actually mm. is quite a bit different than uh, maybe how someone normally thinks about design and particularly prototypes. That's a, that's kind of a technical word. Um, but if you think about like an audition or a first draft or an attempt or whatever word fits, uh, an individual's interpretation, which was also a learning for me and just seeing actually how many, how many people, uh, have a different phrase or different word, different terminology mm -hmm. for, what to me feels like a prototype instinctively and, and yet others, even in the field have just different interpretations. But in any case, the, I think there's an opportunity to, 
at least challenge or, or bring forward an idea that um, there's a value in being curious before being correct. And mm. I, I notice, particularly among students, this is um, a, both a, like a learned and maybe discovered behavior. It's also a praised behavior. I'll say it that way, where yeah, if point. you get the right answer, you are, you are praised and in, in fact, maybe accelerated or, or uh, exposed to new opportunities, which is not different than a professional context either. Like, Luca, you designed the best stuff. I'm hiring you for that. You better deliver the best stuff, right? And if you're not delivering the best stuff, uh, we need someone else to be doing the role you're occupying. Um, that doesn't mean you can't be curious, but it, it really does get down to this, this moment of I'm ultimately going to have to be correct. Mm. And the quicker I can be correct, potentially the better the whole situation is. I, I think uh, at least for a moment, it is worth allowing yourself to fully recognize how your curiosity plays into what you're doing. And the idea of leading with curiosity first um, is, is a way to start. So just as a, a, if we're taking the word prototype, a way to flip that is to say that a prototype is an embodied question that you are with whatever you make, with whatever you uh, devise or present, as opposed to it being a thing, mm. like a, a widget or whatever you've glued together, machined or what, you know, whatever, a new recipe, anything. Uh, for the moment, that thing is actually a question. It's not this, um, uh, like a conflation of a solution, mm. like a prototype and a solution are different. Mm. Uh, they may, they may overlap sometimes uh, occasionally, but in lots of ways they don't. And, and the quicker you can sort of separate that, the easier and almost more immediate it is to say, oh, wow, I've learned a ton of things right now. And from this experience, I'm walking away with a whole list of ideas and knowledge that um, I wouldn't have had if I was looking for like, was that the right answer? Or was that not the right answer? Like a binary uh, affirmation yeah, or rejection, yeah. I guess. Um, so this, this, this flip of saying that a prototype or, or a new version of something, say, or, or an exploration is a question embodied um, is, is something that I, I think is, is, has been fun to, to sort of suss out. And, and a compliment to that, I think, is this, um, although it's a familiar idea, it's not often always explored, but that a prototype itself is part of uh, an experience mm -hmm. beyond the thing. So if you make something and you're wanting to learn about it, it's not just that thing. It's how does someone else engage it? What's the scenario? What's the situation? How are you showing up with regard to that work? Are you, you know, you brought up earlier, like, are we listening to each other? Are we holding mm. space to hear each other's reactions? Same thing. If I'm showing you a new idea, am I selling you that idea? And I'm just watching like, <laughs> oh, he said, yes, I love it. Great. Yeah. Okay. Check. Yeah. Or is it, I'm watching how you use it. I'm watching how you break it. I'm, I'm watching you show it to other people and say like, Hey, what do you think of this? So this, this expansion of prototype to prototype experience mm. uh, is something that's, that's, you know, been on my mind and, and certainly with what I do for work and the students I engage um, it's timely. Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems to, it seems to show up anew uh, with, with relevance. Uh, well, Scott, that's such a wonderful reflection. I, I want to just pull out one thing that you said to begin with, 
And that's this piece around curiosity as perhaps the base plate. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel actually curiosity might even underpin something like creativity and we focus on creativity, but of course, what's the construct that's underpinning? You know, and I, I think education systems do a, a disservice to all the human beings in them, including definitely the adult educators often by de- lowering the importance of something like curiosity or divergence mm-hmm. or creativity and then and elevating, as you've spoken about, the solution, the convergent thinking processes. What's the answer? What's, and then, of course, our society does that too and says, what's the key deliverables? That's what we're going for, KPIs, you know, <laughs> key performance indicators. Before. And so often, like, it's not a diverge. It's not, I think that's just, we see this, what some people might call even a creativity crisis, which is where we are becoming more homogenized. You know, the top 10 selling movies in 1995, two of them were sequels. Last year, 10 of them were sequels. You know, hundred, so we're seeing this real music now, you know, is more formulaic than ever before. There's less kind of you know, innovation around chord structures or around pentameter and whatever else, you know. So I'm just really interested in that, that piece around the divergence. How as, as an educator yourself and as someone that is really, I think, at the cutting edge of this work as a designer, how do we elevate the kind of mm. the divergence, elevate that, make space for you know, not just collaboration, but, you know, part of that is what's the curiosity here? What's the embodied question? Oh gosh, I love that. Yeah. What's, what do you think? Yeah. What's possible? Do you think there? Something to accompany that, the, I know the curiosity you've set forth there, or just the, 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 the the premise of elevating curiosity. There is something like, um, I know if you back calculate, like we got a set of variables, like, okay, if we just, if we change that one, what else do we need to change? Mm. Um, and I think there are, this isn't a, um, an all encompassing answer, but it, it, it strikes me that, um, if we're looking or if we're, if we're, I would say like deconstructing performance or we're seeking performance, but we want to take a new approach toward it. You brought up efficiency <laughs> like back, yeah. back on being efficient on the path. Great. What, how can we take a look at efficiency or performance in a different way? And must mm. we take a look at those in a different way with different structures and different frequencies uh, to support maybe a, a bias toward curiosity? I think in the context of um, uh, certainly like student work or student projects, um, there's an idea about like how many cycles can you go through on a project or uh, a concept like before you can name it? Uh, or how many versions did you try before this one that you're showing? So there's actually, I mean, in a, I don't know, like a biological way, this sort of like shift toward abundance, uh, as a way to be efficient. That's mm. not meaning spend as much time as you would have before or, or dedicate as many resources. It's, it's maybe more about saying like, well, if I know I'm going to take a bunch of, um, light duty or, or, um, quicker passes at things, and there's going to be value in having, an abundance of data or, or reactions or responses. Great. Let me shift my entire approach, at least in one way to say, oh, I'm going to have to like preload this process with a bunch of tries. It's just mm-hmm. a bunch of cycles ahead of time versus the, um, I don't know, both, maybe it's more of a creative process of saying like, I'm going to 
delay, 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 delay. And that constraint is somehow going to amplify my creativity in a moment. And I'm going to routinely expect to deliver peak performance just before a deliverable. That, that's precedented. Mm. Uh, but I wonder about offering up another model so that uh, people can more routinely um, take action or experiment or try things with, I don't know, less concern or less mm. impact um, mm. early on. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm struck with like, what are the accompanying structures of performance and efficiency that, that if we're going to focus on curiosity, uh, what else can we, or must we, I should say, what else must we sort of tweak uh, and mm. modify in support of that? I don't know, it might be like getting an electric car, so to speak, and uh, I'm, <laughs> I don't have an electric car, but I noticed yeah. that when people get an electric car, they often, if they live in a home or wherever, they're often having to modify fundamentally like the infrastructure of their homes. Like, yeah. oh, we've got to put in power outlets. And all of a sudden we need like new resources or, or new um, infrastructure, support structure mm. for this new way of living that we have. Um, it's not that everything or anything should relate to a car necessarily, but but there's an an interesting obvious thing that strikes me there of like if you made a new choice about how you're going to live you're necessarily going to have to support that with ancillary yeah. decisions and yes. and support infrastructure so if we're going to go toward curiosity and that really is something we value and support uh mustn't we also then say Whew, there, there's a bunch of other things we got we we got to investigate or explore or try out or or, or build because they, they might not be there to support um this, this premise of, of curiosity first. Yeah. Oh, so I, I'm really, I really like that idea of, you know, the ancillary. It's kind of like we, mm. I think one of our challenges, I think, is that we, we just narrow the parameters so, so much. We think, you know, uh, we don't think, I, I would even say ecosystemically, you know, which is to say you change one condition or one feature within an ecosystem, other things will shift. If we think me mechanistically, well, yeah, you can put that in and the machine will work, whatever. So, I'm, I'm, you know, first and second and third order consequences are also really interesting. You know, I do this, here's mm. the first order consequence. Well, actually, what's the flow on? Here's the second, here's the third. And even in system design, if we go up to that, or product design, you know, yeah, like here's a new thing. Great. What happens, like, to the system around <laughs> it? You know, it's like... Um, Oh, but it's great. It's great. It's great fun. Yeah. Awesome. But maybe we're having all these negative impacts over here and here and here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's such an interesting way to, to think about it. Um, I wonder, Scott, what's your reflection on, because I know we're talking about prototyping, but we've also alluded to, you know, a creative process around ideation. You know, how would you reflect on this idea, you know, the quantity of ideas being part of you getting to the right, you know, getting to the right question, first of all. So how do we find, how do we do problem finding really well? And, mm. you know, cause we've these great prototypes, they're embodied questions. How do we know they're the right questions? I suppose. Yeah. Well, that's a, that is a good question. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope, I hope that's prototype. the right question. I don't know. <laughs> we'll go with that one. Uh, nice. <laughs> what were the four questions you were going to ask before that? <laughs> um, I think there, there is a value or I, I, yeah, I don't know if this is the, the singular answer or a singular answer, but, um, mm. there certainly is value in having had a lived experience, um, with either a positive or negative outcome that if you mindfully reflect back on it to say, or to ask, I guess yourself, what did I do there? Or how did that sequence sort of take shape or 
I don't know, more specific. What did I do wrong? What could I have tried sooner? What, uh, who should I, who should I have involved in a different way? Or um, when should I have done this? So this, this whole, um, I don't know, like litany of questions Mm. that does that have to come at the end of a, like a catastrophe? I hope not. Uh, But it is something to, it's kind of a good starting point. There's this, this, um, I don't know, just caught up in this idea of like adaptive reuse of like buildings taking on new identities, uh, or, I mean, whatever infrastructure based on like who's using it at the time. There's also like whiskey barrels uh-huh. uh, where you've got like bourbon barrels, at least in the US, yes. are, you know, can be used once by, by, by technical definition. They can <laughs> be used one time uh, in the process of making that product and then they become a waste product. But then if you go to Scotland, like they specifically use those barrels as their raw ingredient, meaning like it is now like a, a, a fundamental waste product all of a sudden has like great utility. Yeah. Uh, so in any case, it's a, it's a, like a long meandering sort of scotch related way of, of getting <laughs> to uh, like th- there's something there's there is some value in like looking at what happened to see how you go forward. And it's mm. like, like a weird time warp in the sense of like, I have to know the past to know the future, uh, which might, if we're talking about structural changes, like, oh, how do people think critically about their work of the past? Not mm. just like, oh, I, we should really reflect on that, but no, we must reflect on that in order yeah. to move forward is it is a different thing than how sort of project or team reflection and debriefs happen like oh okay if we have time we'll do that not a, oh if we have time we have to have the time that is yes. a fundamental ingredient to how we move forward next uh and you can i mean you can learn a lot from doing the the, the smallest of thing like just interviewing someone a, a work colleague like asking a question if you think about what you did even immediately after you say oh could I have had five questions prepared or, Oh, what if I asked that in a different way? Or what if I prefaced it with a joke? Or what if I asked them to offer something up and then I responded to what they said with my, all of it, you know, blah, 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 and figure it out. Um, so I don't know. There's something about, um, I think reflecting back as a primary way of identifying what questions might be productive mm. to move forward uh, as well as what, what questions might be, like what the sequence might be. Um, mm. Very often, I'm thinking about kind of locked into some student designs here, but mm. very frequently a student will get just like super turned on by an idea that they love. They came up with, oh, I, I'm so excited about this. And mm. every subsequent question is, is um, like visually speaking, is like tapering or just it's getting very granular down to what are the features, how do, how does it work? What is the fit? What is the finish? How, you know, where do you buy it? Blah, blah, blah. These are valid questions, but they're not timed well. They're, yeah. they're, they're yeah. in fact really lousy because we're now all of a sudden assuming that this idea is worth advancing, uh, but we haven't asked anything about how does the idea fit or, or what, what would we explore? What would we try? Um, what could we try? What did we try? We're, we're just purely making like moving forward on speculation, which uh-huh. doesn't give us, um, how do I say it? Uh, we might have all the confidence, but it's often um, misplaced or, or, or let's say ill-founded. <laughs> oh, Back to the, like the 
curiosity being the sort of like foundation or, or mm. like starting plate, whatever. Uh, you didn't ask anything. You came up with an idea and you've moved forward and uh-huh. said, I'm assuming that idea is correct and it will work. Uh, so now let's refine it as opposed to like, let's evaluate it. Yeah, that's Scott. It's so good. Two things come up for me in that the almost like backwards design, you know, and well, mm. John Dewey, actually, <laughs> the educationalist, we don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience and this piece of work, I think that you introduce in the book that's interesting, uh, is this forensic engineering approach, which is building work backwards, right? It's almost mm. like what happened? Like, how do you learn from the future? Right. And then kind of see what will be the questions almost like a pre-mortem process as well comes up, you know, like, yeah, yeah, cool. You know, the post-mortem is always good after the thing's been attempted, but what's the pre-mortem, you know, what might happen? What's possible here? What's the, what's the market or what's the context? What's the organizational piece? I think that's really interesting. Yeah. There's so I, just, as you brought it up, I, 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 yeah, the, the getting into that, that field, uh, forensic structural engineering, uh, I'm a little is, bit biased is, because I, it's I had, new, it's new language for me, Scott, to be honest oh, with you. I'm like, oh, so. it's, it's, it's not uh, even among structural engineers. It's not all that, that commonly known or, or actually to take it back. It is, it is very commonly understood. It's not commonly articulated. Like if you watch mm. that show CSI, mm-hmm. which has got, I don't know, uh, dozens of seasons and spinoffs and permutations oh, like thousands. That. Thousands of, yeah. that's that's what it is you're just like that thing right there that's what it is but uh this working um i that was that was i don't gravitated toward it but uh it is it's really interesting to work backwards mm. as your starting point and saying like something went wrong or is going wrong and you are now kind of on task to I didn't make your, in some ways, your best guess. The, candidly, there are instances where you're guessing, but but um, hopefully underpinning that are what are evaluative techniques or what are some things mm. you could try to sort of surface some data or some information like that could help your sense making. Mm. Uh, I had this, I just could run like, <laughs> you brought up Keep going. language early <laughs> and I, I just, you know, whatever, I'm a, I'm a sucker for language, but I had a, a poetry teacher in high school who had this uh, sort of recipe for, for reading poems. Mm. Um, he was also a poet, but he had this, this, um, he just built in this sequence of like encounter a poem, read it all the way through, just read it all the way through and let yourself react to it in any way that you do. Just be open to that. Does it make sense? Do you think it's crap? Does it rhyme? Did it make you laugh? Is it, mm. I don't know, racy or what, what, you know, just, mm. just react to it and, and note that you're reacting to it. Read it through another time with absolute intentionality of taking the thing apart with all the tools that, you know, what is the meter? Is it rhyming? What puns are in there? Is there double entendre? Is it uh, all like alliteration? All of it. What? So just literally take this thing apart. So it's just a pile of like junk. Now on this third time through, at least put it all back together and read it through with what you know, now that you've taken it apart and dissected it and are superimposing how you reacted to it the first time. The intent here is now saying, how do you react to it now? What do you understand about this? Uh, and what could you take forward? How could you take this experience and apply it to another poem or another language or another meter or or all that? So there's this, um, I don't know, dissection or, or there's an, uh, there's, I say like 
in curious work or maybe creative work. I'm not sure. There's a like allowing yourself to be present in how you react to it and how you engage with what you're experiencing. But like that's it. You are you are having an experience. Let's let that be and note it. Uh, and then apply all of our analytical skills and intuition and lived experiences to mechanically say like, Oh, I see kind of what's going on here. I could adapt this or that's not quite what it was before, but, uh, or, or when you do take it apart, you're like, Hmm, my reaction was not about this. It was actually about something I encountered before, you know, it was like a different Mm -hmm. rhyme or I'm, I'm thinking about a different song or poem or whatever. Um, anyway, there's this, yeah, the, the, the deconstructing things as a starting point or early starting point, I should say, is, uh, gosh, that shows up. It's so, it's strangely not, it's, it's got great utility <laughs> and, mm. and I continue to find it a fruitful path forward. Um, I'm always kind of surprised when, when, uh, when it is surprising to others too, because mm. it's, I, I, which maybe it's just, oh gosh, you haven't had, I don't know, an opportunity to, to experiment with your own work that way, or you've not been tasked to sort of take something apart and then see how it works again. Scott, what comes up for me there? I really liked you explaining that. Thank you. (laughs) Sound like a great teacher, that poetry teacher as well. Paul Um, Stein, he was a hell of a guy. Oh, fantastic. I mean, that's the impacts that teachers make, educators can make. Um, (laughs) The piece there for me is allowing yourself to feel you know, and it's actually mm. the first episode I ever did on this podcast with Professor Mark Brecker from Yale, which is giving yourself permission to feel, right? It's actually like, how do I feel right now? And then bring on your analytical potential later on. So emotional check-in, cognitive check-in, right? Mm. Social check-in. And this really is something I'm, I'm exploring. My own curiosity is driving me towards what is this future of learning? How does the, con- you know, how do these different dimensions converge? in an experience, in a culture, in an environment, in an ecosystem. And, you know, so you have this, the kind of cognitive, the analytical, let's, you know, deconstruct, reconstruct or decode and encode. And mm. yeah, how does this feel? Like, what's that, you know, the emotional piece? What's the social connected piece? What's the physical, the spiritual? And that bringing that together, I think is, that's the future of learning for me. I mean, it's actually, <laughs> it's the, it's remembering, you know, actually what we all know to be inherently true, which is when we see fully seen, we're having a full like body, mind, connected experience, which is, yeah. I mean, and you know, all the great, all the great people like my Angela, you know, it's, we forget what people say and mm. do, but not how they make us feel. And so that's something really juicy, I think in that. So I've got a question for you. I've got two, two final questions. The first, <laughs> as an educator and a designer uh, and all the other different roles that you hold in life, <laughs> author, et cetera, et cetera. Um, cyclists, you know, all the stuff. Uh, what do you think, what are some principles you think for the emerging future of learning in schools and in, in universities and organizations as well in L and D, you know, you've taught at Stanford, you now teach at the university of Texas. What do you think, what do you think's pertinent there? That's a challenge. I, I'm, I'm challenged by, uh, like, a like a bleak out view. And then, mm. uh, I don't know, a bit of hope. I think the, uh, I hope the future of learning is education, which sounds like a, uh, another one of these obvious, like, mm, okay, what does that mean? There, at least where I am, which is in this nation and certainly in this state, uh, 
education shockingly is um, secondary to prescription. Uh, and, and we're actually, in fact, taking education, if, if I want to, like extending that to curiosity and saying, um, no, students, this is the extent of the curiosity you should demonstrate in this role as a student, meaning you can't read this or you can't be exposed to this. Don't try to learn about it. In fact, that's illegal. Yeah. Uh, not, not, not just, a, not just a, 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 you know, a hand wave, but no, in fact, your experience will stop if you learn about this subject matter. Um, that's uh, bleak. Yeah. I would say yeah, so. Good uh, I, I hope, I hope, um, if I can, and I do, that that the future of learning um, actually re- returns to, or, or I should say, that the 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 outcome of an education, or the outcome of a capable and curious and um, intellectually mature or maturing student uh, emerges mm. through an experience that they had, and an experience that others presumably their elders and people who have wisdom curated for them that's there's a big asterisk on that mm-hmm. um i think in a, in a more a more optimistic um i don't know note um it it is percolating and continues to percolate the idea of of meeting students where their momentum is mm-hmm. and you know, the phrase of meeting someone where they are um i think that's ever more applicable, accurate, and opportunistic when it comes to, to engaging with students in a learning experience, mm. such that if they have a momentum around uh, a behavior, meaning like they talk with their friends before they make a decision, or in fact, they are using a piece of technology in a classroom, so to speak, uh, and they're enthusiastic about that, or there's a topic that's meaningful to them in some way or theme, uh, as opposed to trying to shift that momentum or yeah. even like, I'd say in a different way, lose that momentum. Um, why not engage them with that or, or, or leverage that momentum? Uh, sort of like, a, why put up a dam when like the river is going to flow anyway? So um, mm. that doesn't mean, of course, that educators are, are instinctively trying to do that or, or necessarily saying, you must learn this way. But um kind of a nod to our previous topic of, of how do we reconsider structures that support what mm-hmm. we want to try to do? Maybe that's about focusing on more projects or having more opportunities for students to select from an, a, a suite of options or a suite of curiosities or provocations yeah. um, that drive their work, which I, I think candidly, can apply to things that aren't intuitively like project-based, like math, mm. elementary school math gets a, a bad rap. We're <laughs> like, yeah. wow, I, you know, math teachers are wildly creative people. Yes. They're, they're beholden to structures and they have to meet deadlines, you know, as they exist. But wow, if different structures existed, you know, they, they're totally adaptable and inclined to say like, oh, I'd, I'd tweak curriculum this way or I'd try yeah. things out. I want to know what I could do next. I'm not trying to, you know, play the same song badly over and over and over again. I, I want to, you know, orchestrate. Yes. I, want, I want to be a director of, of an ensemble here. So um, I think the, 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 I don't know, the tip of that is to say, um, 
opening up to new opportunities where you can meet students with their momentum or with their uh, interests right now mm. continues to be like just a big payoff. It's just a big win uh, for everybody. It's like, wow, they can drive their education and, and you know, lots of people can support it along the way. Yeah. Oh, Scott, <laughs> Mate, we, not, we need another hour or two to just unpack that bit. But <laughs> Thank you so much for, for reflecting that. And I, I do I do really hold the paradox there, which is the bleakness as it can seem and also the hopefulness and that, that piece on, you know, it's kind of do you know, do your best work, then let it go, you know, seemingly, mm. you know, very kind of Taoist idea um, in a sense. But, yeah, this idea is, you know, math, I mean, maths is, I have to, I have to make one, maths is the language of the universe. And the fact that we don't see that as like the most amazing thing ever shows how structurally we've missed, <laughs> we kind of missed the point of math. I mean, it's remarkable. It's everywhere. It's in our lives. And yet we're like, I don't think I'm a maths guy. Do you know what I mean? Like it's actually, you are because the fractal is everywhere. The Fibonacci sequence, the golden ratio, like these things matter. Like, oh, you look at nature, do you like nature? Well, it's a fractal pattern, you know, just replicating. Anyway, that's a whole rabbit hole there, mate. But Thank I can feel I can feel mathematicians just resonating around the world with you right now. The energy that you just brought forth, like people are just, wait, I'm vibrating for some reason. I don't know why now, but someone someone just called out math. Wow, great. Oh, it's mind-blowing. Awesome. You know, Euler's number, pi. We could just keep going. Um, keep doing your work, math teachers. You're doing great stuff. Uh, so, Scott, it's been a delight to have you on. Really, thank you so much for your time. I have one final question for you which is, you know, especially through the kind of vehicle of, of this work, the curious craft that is design, explore, exploration of new ideas, you know, leaving the trail, the beautiful, efficient trail from north to south. You know, what is your take-home message for our listeners here today? I think there's always time, though it might not seem it, there's always time to try something before you have to know it. Uh, it could be auditioning a phone call, sharing good or bad news, you know, with a friend or, I don't know, you're giving a presentation and you're about to go through a slide deck or blah, blah, blah. There's always some version of that, that you can audition or try or prototype or cycle through uh, with what time you have. And I like as a slight compliment to that, it's say like, if I know that I can always try something, you can always try something. Uh, I think the compliment or a compliment to that is to say, if you see the environment in which you're located, not as a fixed thing, but as a manipulatable thing, an engageable thing, you are surrounded fundamentally by tools. Mm. Uh, so, the the quicker or i see the, the more comfortable you feel with shifting something into an experience into a prototype adapting whatever's around you uh to turn that into a an experience that you can learn from um the quicker you can do that i think the the, the more comfortable and the more real it feels to say oh i know i can try something right now i've got enough time to cycle through this and even even more so, maybe you you equip yourself. You just get accustomed to having some stuff on you. You know whether that's a 
a pen or always having like a, a roll of tape, you know, or uh, some, I don't know, whatever, paper clips or whatever's <laughs> in your pocket. Kind of the like, literally what empty out your bag? What do you've got in there? What can you make out of this? Um, instead of that feeling arbitrary, that can become a very uh, familiar, instinctive and repeatable mm. um, situation that you approach anything with. So this notion of there's always time to try something. And with that, I always feel equipped regardless of where I am yeah. to take where I am and turn that into an experience that I can learn from. Well, Scott, thank you for creating this experience we can learn from. It's been a delight to speak with you, learn from you, all the different prepositions among you, around you, <laughs> all of the things. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us for the, the Learning Future podcast today. It's been a real delight. Thanks. I was just, literally, I was just about to say this, this has been an absolute delight too. So wow, as I'm reading your mind or something like that. But uh, yeah, this has just been, just been a kick. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Luca. And thanks for your work too. I really appreciate that. My pleasure, mate. So team, if you want to hear more about the work that Scott is doing, his new book is called This is a Prototype, The Curious Craft of Exploring New Ideas. And it's part of the Stanford D School Guides, which is a series that we have been covering now for a few episodes. Keep learning and we'll see you next week.